So a very popular social concept in Philemon's day was that of the cursus honorum, which is Latin for the course of honors or the path to glory. It was the prescribed method of increasing your social and political clout in Roman society. And like I've said before, back then, status was everything. Getting that praise and honor and glory and power was the primary goal. The end game for significance among Roman elites was being remembered after you die. Having someone write something about you or having a, a statue of yourself built to immortalize your reputation. And there's evidence for this. On the small Grecian island of Rhodes, archaeologists have found 3,000 statues. And there were so many people who wanted to be commemorated with a statue that some people even pried off the name plaque on someone else's statue and wrote in their own name. Which, who does that? I mean, the statue didn't even have to look like you. They, people were just so desperate to have their names on something and to be remembered after they died. Roman writers like Hermogenes taught about how to write about someone after they died. They would teach people what you should say uh, in their memoirs, the, the battles that they'd won, how handsome they were, how much influence they had in society, the social clout that they gained, and even who killed them in battle, if they died in battle. You can't just be killed by anybody. You gotta be killed by someone big and strong. The social current in the ancient world moved in an upward direction. More power, more influence, more honor. But what we'll see this morning is that the Apostle Paul tried to lead Christians against that current. He said Christians shouldn't go along with everyone else on that escalator of the cursus honorum, but instead take the road of the cursus pudorum, the path of shame. And back then this was a crazy suggestion. Honor and glory were like oxygen to first century people. They were like, Paul, do you want us to suffocate? What are we supposed to do? Paul didn't want them to suffocate, but he had learned the way of Jesus and that it was the way up was the way down. The way of Jesus is the way of the servant or the slave. And so the humble cursus pudorum is what Paul prescribes for Philemon. Philemon was dishonored when his slave Onesimus ran away. And according to Roman law and customs, Philemon had every right to punish or even kill Onesimus. He had the right to humiliate him and to reject him and instruct the whole household not to let Onesimus come back. But Paul instructs Philemon to relinquish those rights for the higher standard of love that comes from Jesus. This is what Paul tells Philemon. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Paul says, yeah, I know that he wronged you and that you were right in this situation. And I know that you want to exercise your rights, but instead, I want you to waive those rights. Choose relationship over retaliation. Lay down your rights for the sake of righteousness. This is a big ask. But Paul isn't asking Philemon to do anything that he himself is not willing to do. Paul's ministry reflects a constant willingness to lay down his own rights for the sake of the gospel. He waives his right to receive honor and comfort as a church leader. There's an example of this in 2 Corinthians. When Paul is criticized by the Corinthian church for being a weak public speaker and a less than charismatic frontman for the gospel, he spends time in his letter to them telling them, that's not what it's about. The way of Christ is not the cursus honorum, remember? 
In chapter 11, you can read about this. He presents the worst resume in the ancient world. He says, yeah, here's my list of qualifications if you need them. I've been in prison. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I can't stay in one place too long. I'm a walking liability. How's that for credibility? In his letter to the Thessalonian Christians, he points out that there are rights that he has as an apostle to receive compensation and other things that he, he didn't want to impose on them. He says, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. And here in this letter to Philemon, Paul says, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. That's what he's asking Philemon to do. Don't exert your authority in this case, but make a decision based on love. Just like I'm not going to exert my authority, even though I could, but instead I'm making this appeal to you on the grounds of love. Where does Paul get this value that clashes so strongly with the cursus honorum? I think you know the answer to this. He gets it from Jesus. Jesus taught this and Jesus demonstrated this. Luke tells us, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And this wasn't just talk. We see Jesus constantly disregarding the cursus honorum, not living a decadent life, hanging out with the wrong kinds of folks, not kowtowing to the religious leaders. Jesus was the king of kings, but he didn't demand the rights of a king. Jesus led the humble march down the cursus pudorum, the path of shame, and it led all the way to the cross. So how about us? Can we get on board with the message from Philemon and from Paul and from Jesus that requires us to sacrifice our rights for the sake of a relationship? When you have every right to be angry, every right to seek retribution, every right to every right, are you able to let that go? I wonder if anybody else is going to ask you that question this week. I would say as least, at least as much as the ancient Romans cared about glory and honor, we care about our rights and our freedoms. We all know our rights. We expect our rights. We demand our rights. Now, disclaimer, I'm not saying that helping people receive basic human rights that they've been denied is a bad thing. Get this? This is, I need you to know, I'm not against rights. What I am saying is, if you care more about your rights than you care about the way of Christ, then you might be carving your own statue and securing your own spot on the cursus honorum. But the way of Christ is the way of the servant. The way of Christ is a person who is shamed and dishonored in his own household and who welcomes the culprit back as a brother. The way of Christ is the father who throws a huge celebration when his prodigal son returns. The way of Christ is the beaten, bare-naked Son of God hanging on a cross and still saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can we even begin to walk that path? It's kind of hard to picture what that looks like today because we don't see it on display very often. We see the opposite. With the presidential debates lately, a friend of mine pointed out, you know what would be refreshing? 
it would be nice if one of the candidates was asked a question about a policy or whatever, and they said, yeah, you know, that's, that's a tough one. I think I want to take some time to think about that more. But right now, I'd really like to listen to what my opponent has to say on this topic. I'm going to give the rest of my time to them. That would be a breath of fresh air. I think that our world would welcome people taking that self-sacrificing call of Jesus seriously for the sake of society and for relationships. I heard a story about a Christian couple who owns a house, and they rented in one of the areas that was hit by the wildfires. The tenants of their house had to evacuate for several days. And under the rental agreement and the insurance policy, the Christians who own the house had every right to demand payment from those tenants, even though they weren't in the house the whole month. They could have said, hey, that's not my problem that you had to evacuate. I still got to pay my mortgage, so better pay up. But they didn't. They accepted less rent money that month in order to bless the tenants of their house, who'd already been through a scary ordeal. Isn't that awesome? Somebody, please say amen to that. Yes, we need to see more of that, church. I think the world would love to see more of that. Keep in mind, we don't do these sacrificial acts begrudgingly. We do them because we believe in the principles of God's kingdom. We believe in loving our neighbor and even loving our enemies. We believe in this vision that Paul is casting and modeling where enemies become family. Just like parents giving up personal rights and freedoms for the sake of their kids. They lose sleep. They lose money. They lose freedom. But they do it willingly. They do it out of love. Just like worshipers who set aside a regular percentage of their income to give to the work of the Lord through the church. I've said this before, and I still believe that it's true. I love letting go of that money every time I give to the church. I love saying, God, you're going to do way more than this than I ever could, and relinquishing that right. It's just like we become willing to forgive someone we love when we realize that the relationship is more important than our rights and more important than having been wronged. You might have thought it strange a few weeks ago when we sang the song, Oh Holy Night, as part of our worship service. You may have noticed that. You might have thought, hey, that's a Christmas song. We can't sing a Christmas song in the summer. But it's really a shame that we only sing that song in December because the second verse is so profound. It goes like this. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. That's a song we should be singing 12 months out of the year. So the goal of the Roman cursus honorum was to get yourself as much praise and honor and glory and power as possible. And honestly, you're not going to get that on the cursus pudorum. But something even more amazing happens on that road. It's a path where we become family in the body of Christ. It's the path where the slave becomes our brother. And ironically, the result is still praise and honor and glory and power, but not for me. All of that goes to the Lord, where it belongs anyway. This message might make you think of a person in your life with whom you've chosen your rights over the relationship. Next week, we're going to talk about Paul's call for Philemon and Onesimus to be reconciled. What's at stake? What's required in order to make this happen? It's going to be a reminder that Christians are called to be forgiven forgivers, to be reconciled reconcilers and welcomed welcomers. So let this message convict you throughout this week of something in your life that needs attention. Each week, I post discipleship questions on our website, and they're designed to help you interact with this message. 
Not just hearing it and going like, yeah, sure, it's true. Philemon really needed to hear this, but to realize uh, I need to hear this message as well. So please take some time to think about and respond to these questions this week. You can do this on your own. Maybe you can write down answers to these questions in a journal as you, you think about them. Or you can treat them like a conversation with the Lord, as if God were asking you these questions. And then your responses to the Lord are a form of prayer. Or you can discuss these questions with someone in your life that you're able to be honest with. Maybe over a cup of coffee or a meal or a phone call. Our fall discipleship groups that meet each week online will give you a chance to respond to these questions in a group of people who uh, are concerned about these things. They'll, they'll pray for you. If you'd like to get connected with one of these groups, you can sign up by going to Tri-Valley Church slash adults, or you can always send an email to the church office requesting more information. May God's kingdom come and his will be done in your life. Blessings to you all.